today joining me on the podcast, we have NCAA qualifier and Loyola Marymount University graduate, Kobe Peterson. Kobe, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Max. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Happy to be mm-hmm. here. Awesome. Absolutely. So can you briefly walk me through your athletic career throughout high school, college, and to where you're at now? Yeah. So like most, I was a, a transplant from soccer. Um was actually committed to a D2 university uh, my sophomore year of high school after going to some camps. Um, and then one summer, uh, it was my sophomore year going into my junior year. I was on a family camping trip and we had some family friends. And actually the, the daughter of this, of our family friends, she was dating uh, who was uh, the captain of the cross country team at the, at the time. And I, he was just like, Hey, I don't want to run alone. Uh, what would you want to run with me? You, you can get in shape for soccer in the upcoming, upcoming soccer season. I was just like, I told him like, Hey dude, like, I don't know. I've never run before. Like, I didn't know running over a mile was a thing people did. I, I honestly had no clue about cross country or track. And this is me about to be a junior. Anyway, I run with him and it was like 105 degrees. It was in Lake Havasu. Um, but I survived the run. I kept up with him. Uh, it was more survival than anything, but after the run, he's like, Hey dude, like not many people can keep up with me, especially after their first run. It's like, I, I, I think you should join the, the high school running team. And I didn't give it much thought and the school season came or school started and it was like three weeks in and cross country is the first season in high school. So it was like three weeks in even think anything about it and then one day I was walking down the hallway and like straight out of a movie the the track and field the cross-country coach opened his door and I literally bumped into him and he dropped his things and I was like I picked him up and I like looked at as do as him and I was just like are you kidding me this is like a sign that I need to join the cross-country team and I asked him I was like hey like I ran with uh, the captain of the team he's you mentioned me joining and I asked for a tryout and he's like, he's like, dude, there's no tryouts. Just, just join the team. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. And uh, yeah, I ended up running my junior year or cross country and track uh, that year. And then soccer doesn't overlap with that. So I was still, still able to play for my high school team and then club during the summer. Um, but then, yeah, I wasn't that fast my junior year. I think I ran 1623 for the three mile. And then I ended up really loving the sport. I think what really drew me to it over soccer is just the sense of community in the sport, just how, how much people like your competitors want you to do well. Whereas in soccer, it's just so brutal and mm-hmm. not, I don't know, just not a very great community in soccer. Um, I felt like, especially in SoCal where it's so competitive. And then anyway, I just, I really loved running. I ended up reading Jack. We, we, my coach left from my junior year. So we were in a weird period in high school where we didn't have any appointed coach during that summer, but I really liked running and I want to continue it. So I actually bought Jack Daniels running formula, the book at the time, and just decided to write my own workouts from that. Just like not even a year into the, in, into the sport. And I just like was so engrossed by it and wanted to get better at it. And mm-hmm. my first meet, uh, my first meet, my senior was actually Rosemead in, in LA, which is a very fast course. Uh, Robert Brandt ran 14 flat there and I was a little far behind him, but yeah, I ran 1437 there for my first cross country meet of the season. So I almost PR 
two minutes from my junior my senior year and I remember my my new coach at the time he just came up to me my parents and was like hey I think Kobe should quit soccer because he could probably get a, a better scholarship running and I was like I didn't like I was so ignorant at this time like I only been running just over a year in the sport and I, I didn't know what I just did running 1437 mm-hmm. um but he told me like hey just send up some emails see what happens like I think you should contact some running coaches. And I sent probably 30 emails to various colleges I, I, I would kind of be interested in. And to my to my surprise, a bunch replied and they were talking about unofficial visits, official visits. And at that time, I didn't even know the difference. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not really knowing what to do. And I just got, and then I was able, I got some official visits in. I was like, oh wait, this is like serious. Coaches are offering me scholarship. And at that point, I just, I quit, uh, quit soccer for my club team and my, my high school team. And they weren't very happy, but yeah, uh, ended up getting a great offer, a great opportunity at Loyola Marymount University, where I'm now in my, or uh, finished up six years of running. Um, and yeah, I, I joined the team uh, just because I wanted to be close to family. Uh, it was only an hour and a half away from where I live. Uh and it was a great experience going on. The, I mean, the first year we had a, a pretty solid squad and I was fortunate enough to be uh, already the top runner of the program, which I didn't expect. But uh, I know, man, I, r- running at that time, dude, that's all I wanted to do. And it, it, it was really cool to be running at a university in L.A. and being the top guy. And um, it wasn't really I, I had some success uh, my first couple of years, uh, but nothing crazy. And it wasn't until my senior, senior year of cross where I guess my junior year of track, my junior year of outdoor track, my PR front in the 5k went from like 1503 to 1414. Uh, then like 403, 1500 to, uh, like 352. And I was like, okay, like that was like the first major jump I ever saw in my running. And I was like, okay, like next cross season's my last one. I really want to make a count. It was kind of like a, for me, it was like a natties or bus, you know, just like grew up a stash and everything, <laughs> stashies for natties, had to do that. And me and my, my buddy who coaches for McCurdy Train now in Flagstaff, uh, Jack Polarecki, shout out to him. Um, him and I just pounded miles that summer and that fall season. Just do, we were throwing down some insane workouts where like a 5K split of a three by 5K workout was like 1440 um, at the end of a workout. And just both knew we were really fit and, I ended up running 23.57 for uh, 8K course uh, that season. So breaking 24 barrier gave me a lot of confidence for regionals, which was, I think, six weeks after that. And then it was kind of weird because our conference meet that uh, my senior year was at Provo, Utah, because BYU was hosting it in the West Coast Conference. And I was just like, it was, it was just a weird time, two weeks before regionals, and you go to, you go to elevation and we didn't go out, we didn't go like weeks before or even days before we just kind of went up there to race. So it was like, how's that going to affect my training going up in elevation? So kind of did like 80% effort on that race and didn't know, like, I was just like, I wanted to be a good indicator of where my fitness was at, but wasn't able to, cause it was at elevation. I wanted to play more on the cautious, cautious side. And then regionals came and uh, just it was at the Sacramento course, the cap or where the capital cross challenge is held and where LMU, we, we race once a year, every year. So I was very familiar with the course. I, I, yeah, I've raced it four times at that point. 
because um, there was another regionals 10K there. Um, so re really knew the course. I mean, I was in the best shape of my life. And yeah, the whole goal going into that was just like stay attached to the, the lead pack and end up doing that. There's two nasty spills that happened right in front of me. But uh, yeah, I was able, it went out a little conservative in the first 5K and then the last 5K really hammered down. Uh, Garrett Cor Corcoran, who ran for Berkeley, put on a big surge that brought everyone with him. And, you know, I, I, I knew that course pretty well. I knew where to make my moves. Um, and I, I couldn't believe it, like looking next to me. I, I mean, at this point, LMU is a pretty small school. You know, I've never ra really raced against really good competition. Um, the only, the, the greatest competition I raced in is in that regional meet where we have teams like Stanford mm -hmm. and Oregon. And then I was probably sitting at 20th in this point with a mile to go. And I was just like, couldn't, I was like looking to my left and right, like trying to pick out the individual, like, cause I knew my team wasn't going to qualify. So I had to look at the other individuals that also weren't going to qualify for a team to get the individual qualification in nationals. So I was just hunting those guys down, looking around, like, I'm like, Oh my God, there's Carlos Villarreal. There's uh, there's Garrett Conqueror there's James Mora. And I was just like, I'm, I'm right here with these guys with a mile to go. And I don't know if they've ever raced this course. I don't know if they realize how downhill the last 800 is of that course. Cause it's an insane downhill where literally just your arms are flailing and it's just, it's, it's, and it's, it's an insane last final stretch. But before that, there's a, a 800 meters of uphill, which is where I decided to make my move. And from there I moved up, I think from like 20 or honestly with a mile, with like two miles ago, I moved up from like 57th place to, to eventually third at the finish. But the, the last mile was insane. I ran, we, uh, I ran 427 for the last mile. And that's what it took because it went out pretty conservative. So I, because of that, I knew how to put it in the last fast mile, but yeah, I ended up running 427. Uh, Nick Hogger from the WCC got the W and then uh, me and Carlos Villarreal duped it out for second and third. He, he, uh, of course, that man has the greatest kick in the world. So he got <laughs> second. Uh, yeah, I was able to get third and made it, punched my ticket to nationals at Wisconsin and I, I got to say, there's a bit of a curse for people who from qualify from the West region as an individual, because you got to put all your effort in just to qualify. Whereas some of these people mm -hmm. who know that they make it on a team can conserve a little bit because nationals is only a week after regionals. So mm -hmm. my, my, uh, nationals didn't go too well. Um, placed 127, but I was just, I was super happy to be there. It was just like, I joined the sport pretty late in high school and it was just like, an amazing thing to even be there, you know, and mm -hmm. I wasn't used to it. I've never raced the Wisco course. I, it's not really in our budget to travel to meets like that. So that was my first time racing Wisco, which was insane. It, it snowed, which it was like the first time it snowed at nationals since like Alberto Salazar was running in college. Or something. <laughs> so I was just like a fish out of water because I've lived in SoCal my entire life. But, uh, you know, it was just a great experience to be there. And then I guess to cap it off, then the next track season, I ended up running 347 for the 15 and 405 for the mile. And then um, that, that was a redshirt year. So I was only doing that. And then COVID happened and uh, my college career got kind of ended a while ago without me even knowing yet. So never really got to put a, a stamp on my college career, but uh, you know, I'm, I guess I'm excited to ended two years ago with uh, Natty's at cross country. So what are you currently doing now in terms of running or 
your occupation? So uh, my occupation right now is I actually work for a sunglasses company, running sunglasses company called Gooder, which is a fun brand here in Los Angeles. Um, in terms of running, uh, kind of got my eyes set on on trail running, honestly. Um, and the reason for that is when I actually, when I was doing internships uh, in my undergrad, one of them uh, was for Trail Runner Magazine based out of a very small town in Carbondale, Colorado. And literally, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was a marketing major and I was just like, I like running and I need to find an internship. So I typed in running internships on the Google search bar and Trail Runner Magazine popped up and I was like, oh, it's unpaid, but I guess I'll, I'll move to this town and get some experience. And anyway, I moved there um, and lived with some awesome trail runners, Anime and Paul Hamilton, who Anime runs for Hoka One One now. Um, uh, but I live, I end up living with them in this beautiful town called Marble, which is nestled between uh, the Ragged Mountain Wilderness and the Maroon Bells Wilderness. Like if you were to run or bike, you could get to Crested Butte, it'd be 10 miles, or you could drive all the way around and take almost two hours. So it was just like this town, according to the last census data, I think I had like 170 as the population. So I was living in this super small town where like there's not a flat road that exists um, with these two pro ultra trail runners working for Trail Runner Magazine um, in just like a very small town in Colorado. And it was just like everyone there just loved the outdoors, you know, it wasn't something they thought about doing. It was just like something they had to do because it's so integrated in their life. And just seeing that that summer, I was just like, I was so, I was just so wide-eyed seeing everybody doing that, whether it was trail running or cross-country skiing, just everyone was doing something in this town. And and it just really opened my, like, I was just like, trail running is the coolest thing ever. You know, I was like doing marketing, advertising for Trail Runner Magazine, living with them. And I was just like, this is so cool. I definitely want to do this after I'm done with track and now I'm done with track. And, uh, obviously it's a weird time to get into, into trail running with uh, COVID going on, but, uh, yeah, doing a little bit of training right now. It's kind of hard being a trail runner in Los Angeles, especially living kind of far from the Santa Monica, uh, mountain range. Uh, so that's interesting navigating that, but, uh, yeah, hoping to, uh, p- potentially run the bull, Bulldog uh, 50K in Malibu, and then uh, maybe even a 50 miler at the the JFK 50 miler in, in in November in Maryland. So, yeah, gonna gonna try test out those waters, and uh, you know, pretty young for it, but uh, yeah, just want to see how the trails go. Awesome. So, one of the main reasons I wanted you to come on the podcast was because of a recent Instagram post on your account. Um, I'm just going to read the caption for this so the listeners would know what we're talking about and because I think it's a great caption. Athletic identity, the degree to which an individual identifies with the athletic role. It's something that doesn't get talked about nearly enough in collegiate sports. The transition into the real world after sport participation has been difficult for me and so many other athletes for various reasons. Erickson's theory of Psychological development states that during adolescence slash young adulthood, our main goal is to form an identity, and for many of us athletes, that that identity revolves around our sport. While closely identifying with a sport is great, it also serves a great detriment to the athlete. 
A strong athletic identity makes it harder to consider our alternative roles, such as preparing for a career, forming interpersonal relationships, and discovering other interests. We often choose majors that won't interfere with our sport, spend time practicing versus working inter internships, and famously say, I can't, I have practice, to our friends when they invite us out. After doing this for four to five years, we graduate and our athletic endeavors come to an abrupt end, one that none of us were prepared for. It's truly a loss of identity and a crippling reality. My hope is future student athletes don't make any sacrifices for their sport, but this is, this is difficult to ask with the pressures of attaining athletic scholarships. How this issue can be fixed is one I don't have the answer to, but I hope one day student athletes will be prepared for what lies after their sport. So have you personally struggled with athletic identity at all? Just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely have. That's kind of what prompted the, the post. And I've been doing a lot of my, my whole thesis paper for my, my graduate program has been revolved around issues of career readiness and financial literacy within collegiate student athletes. And the, the biggest variable I came across when learning about this topic was athletic identity. And this entire semester, this has been my only classes writing this paper in this entire semester, you know, as I'm kind of realizing with COVID and everything, I'm not going to be able to run for my school again. And this is kind of it. And just the, the transition for so many student athletes, and it's not just running, it's every sport. You know, a lot of these student athletes have been doing their sports since they could walk, you know, it's something like if anyone asks you your entire life, oh, what do you do? usually you tell them, oh, I'm a runner or I, I participate in this sport. And something collegiate athletes, I mean, kind of, you kind of talked about it when reading the post, but like we often choose majors that are easier just so we can better, we can be better in our sport. Um, you know, the people we hang out with is usually our team. So there's peer, you're isolated in a peer group of people who are similar to you. Um, just the time commitments of the sport in general, you're talking about like practicing rehab, weight room meets traveling for meets, all, all these things mm -hmm. just really take away, you know, I, I wasn't able to get internship. I was only able to get my internships during the summer, none during the school year. And that's mainly because running is year round with cross country and track. And there's just so, there's just so many, it's, I, being a student athlete is a great thing. Like I don't regret it, my experience at all, but at the end of like, as I'm at the end of my student athlete career, it's just like, man, I really didn't consider all other alternatives besides my sport. Like I chose a major I wasn't super in love with, but was super easy. Um, and then, yeah, you, the student athlete, I, I hate to say it, but it's like almost, it's almost harder for the student athlete to be prepared for what's after, mm -hmm. you know, it's like an identity. It's literally an identity crisis. You're just like chopped off from this part. That's this piece of your life. That's molded you for so long. And it's like, all right, now, now I have to get a job. Now I have to understand like how to be financially independent. And you never had this time, nor did you think about these other alternative roles you have to consider after, after college. And, yeah, it's mm -hmm. definitely something I'm facing, you know, like I, I chose an easy major or a major I wasn't super in love with that would help me out. And, you know, now I'm at this point now where it's just like, 
oh my god i didn't i didn't consider these things while i'm in college and now i have to figure them out now and it's mm-hmm. kind of exacerbated with covid and it's just like just a lot of student athletes uh i think are just in this identity crisis once they leave their sport and it, it's really hard for us and i wish there was solutions in place today and i i, I think you know, the NCAA on their Instagram, in their bio, it says enhancing the student athlete experience. And I almost wish the NCAA instituted this thing at all NCAA schools where, you know, there was something like a free uh, one unit course that student athletes were required to take, you know, something that was focused on them, just building career skill, like doing mock interviews, building LinkedIn pages, helping build resumes, mm-hmm. learn uh, credit cards, you know, because for a lot of these kids too, it's the first time they're financially independent, making their own decisions. You know, they mm-hmm. don't really have the concept of money when you're 18 years old. And yeah, I just wish the NCAA or even universities like had these classes where uh, they were free for the student athlete. And I, I know that some student athletes would hate going to a course once a week when they can just have fun and do whatever else. But I think it's so important. I think it needs to be a mandatory class that the NCAA or universities implement that ease this transition for the student athlete, makes it easier for them. Mm-hmm. Or after four to five years of participating as a student athlete at this university, it's not just like this this identity crisis you face. You, you you've made this transition through these class classes so much easier. And mm-hmm. I wish I wish there was more of that. And I know that's a hard thing. Like making all these sacrifices is hard. Like I said at the end of that post because you have athletic scholarship looming over you because mm-hmm. for a lot of these student athletes, they get paid way more money for athletics than academics. So of course they're going to prioritize athletics and it's just, a, it's a hard thing to juggle. And yeah, I, I don't really know the answer, but I wish it's something that NCAA looked way uh-huh. more. Into. Yeah. I mean, you just said a potential answer about, you know, making that, uh, make, making the NCAA, have a class that was required for student athletes that's you know a, a small but great minor solution to um a big issue but also i i did a little bit of my own research before coming to this podcast about this issue and i also found that um a lot of you know pro athletes might even struggle with this issue more than collegiate athletes just because they're so much more invested in like you're, you're definitely investing a lot of your life if you're a student athlete in the NCAA, especially at uh, a more competitive level, like a bigger Division One school. But um, if you're a pro- professional athlete, then your job is literally to do your sport um, and you get paid to do that. You get paid to like perform. And then when you're, when you're done doing that, you know, especially in running, you, you likely don't make enough money to live off that for the rest of your life like unlike the end unlike the nba where if you can like you know you can be a bench warmer and you could probably live off your salary (laughs) um and i find and i also read that like you know these olympians in other sports are and just professional athletes once they're done being a professional athlete or once like the olympics end um, then it's really hard for them to transition out of that, you know, because if you're focused on the Olympics, you spent four years like just grinding to do your best you can to, leading up to the Olympics. Then all of a sudden, like the Olympics end. So now it's like, well, what do I do? If you, especially if your career ends, 
Um, and yeah, so what do you think, what do you think it might look like when an athlete identifies too strongly with their sport? Like if you were, what would it look like if you had a teammate that you, that was struggling with the athlete identity crisis? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I, I mean, I think it's just someone who, instead of calling them a student athlete, call them an athlete student. It's where they prioritize their athletics, you know? It's like, like for me, a lot of my, my entire undergrad, I totally prioritized athletics. That's why the transition is very difficult for me and prompted that, that post. Um, but it's like always spending time with the trainers maybe doing double runs, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, instead of bringing my laptop and papers on the bus while we traveled, I would just leave them at home and just like (laughs) do them last second because I could get a passing grade doing them that way. Just like, just literally wanted to put all my attention to running versus anything else, like preparing for a career or learning about my finances or anything. It was just literally... My, my life in college is running, running, running. And, you know, you, got, you have meetings with your coach, you go to the weight room, you have meetings with, with athletic trainers, prehab and all this on your own. Just everything you do. I mean, when you live with people, usually you live with people on your team, you're just so isolated in your sport in collegiate athletics. And mm-hmm. I think it's so hard to, to break out of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you just, it just, it's a subject that yeah like i said doesn't get talked about Mm -hmm. enough yeah what would you say to people that believe that what you're describing is a good thing like that's what you need to do to be successful at your sport and that's what you should do if you're competing in the ncaa yeah i i think my thing is just having balance not identifying Mm -hmm. too with one thing i mean Mm -hmm. having that balance i think can make you a better runner honestly instead of so I mean, this is a problem I think that gets talked about a little more is just that the identification of some heavily identifying as something It's just like, like, for instance, when a runner gets injured, you hear a lot about them saying like, or just slipping into depression, honestly, when you're injured, as a lot mm-hmm. of runners do, you know, you're not able to run, you see your teammates run, you're around yeah. all the time as a pro or a collegiate athlete, and you slip in, you spiral down in this de- depressive state because you've identified so heavily with this thing and you've never considered all, uh, other identities to form. Um, so like what I've been doing during uh, COVID is I, I found a couple other hobbies, um, bought a steel frame bike for $350 at the local bike depot and been biking with a lot of my coworkers. So biking's another thing I've been doing, a little bit of rock climbing as well. And then just watching a lot of English Premier League soccer. So I'm actually currently injured right now and it's been great to do these other activities instead of running. And mm-hmm. this time, around, like it previously, I think my, my, my fifth year of college, I got injured and I was in a boot. I was in crutches, had a stress fracture on my foot. And I just remember thinking that was like the lowest point of my entire college mm-hmm. collegiate career. And I was very fortunate not to get injured my entire time until my fifth year. But even in that fifth year, I was just like, I was just in a very low place, seeing all my friends run, not being able to run at the thick of the track season. It was just a really hard thing. And this mm-hmm. time around, it's just I've noticed such a different change 
having for other for, having formed other identities. Mm-hmm. What do you think is a healthy way an athlete can balance identifying with their sport without letting it become a detriment to them? Say that one more time. What do you think is a healthy way an athlete can identify with their, you know, you know, identify like what what I mean by identify with their sport is um be serious about it, you know, compete at a high they want to compete at a high level, but without um letting it become a detriment to them, like you as you were saying, like putting just too much focus into their sport and mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think at the collegiate level, I think you really need to be pointed to the resources available to you. Those need to be really recognized by the athlete athletic department and the student athlete, knowing you have these options, like, uh, like having a career center, for instance, that is specifically trained to help student athletes. So if you do want to look at these other things, like, even though you're heavily identified as an athlete and you want to excel in your sport, which, many athletes can juggle all, all, all the things above, but just knowing the resources you have available, like free, a lot of universities offer free tutoring for their, for their athletes. So taking advantage of that, meeting with athletic advisors on, uh, on a weekly basis, knowing the options you have at the career center, just really knowing your resources, even talking to professors, like I found taking time to talk to them about any issues I was having within my major or within filing for, or trying to apply for an internship, you know, helped a lot instead of kind of digging yourself into this hole where you're only focused on athletics. I think, yeah, being, being aware of the, the resources around you at your mm-hmm. university. Help a lot. Yeah. I know you just touched on this, but what do you believe are some of the current issues in the NCAA athletic system that, contribute to the athletic identity crisis? Oh man, that's a, that's a subject in and of itself, but uh, uh-huh. yeah, I just, I, I think just not having a, not having a program man, for every university that they sponsor at the NCAA level, just not having a, a class to help student athletes out. They're all about helping the student athlete experience and they obviously have the money to do it. I mean, student athletes don't benefit off their own likeliness yet, which may be even another issue with athletic identity once they can. Mm-hmm. I feel like that might be uh, an issue that arises um, once, yes, yeah, student athletes can make money off their own likeliness, but the NCAA has the money and it's just, they're all about enhancing the student athlete experience, but you just don't see anything from them helping to ease the, the transition of the student athlete, like learning about life after sport. And there's a couple studies they highlight that I found in my thesis paper where after performing this workshop, they created student athletes had a higher career decision self-efficacy after the workshop, but that's only one study. Why is that not being, if they know the results of that study, why is that not being implemented uh, at an NCAA wide level? You know, mm-hmm. I just think there needs to be a little more help from the NCAA and they definitely have the money for it and mm-hmm. yeah that's research obviously so i mm-hmm. i would love to see them implement a program yeah you you mentioned in there that the ncaa might change the rule to where uh athletes are able to make money off their name image and likeness do you think if they do allow athletes to start making money off their 
name, image, and likeness, and that would help the athletic athlete identity crisis issue or hurt it? Uh, I think short term, it's probably going to hurt it because I think with this age we live in with social media Mm -hmm. and the ability to benefit off your own likeliness, I think a lot of people are going to form a personal brand around their sport and themselves, which is Uh going to enhance or yeah, increase their athletic identity. Mm. But I think when these short term, I think it's going to hurt, but I think hopefully we'll see, hopefully athletic identity gets talked about more enough. Once we see the problems of focusing so heavily on it, building a brand just to where in, in the name of hopefully getting some money to benefit off your own likeliness to where it becomes an issue that becomes very prevalent because you can make money. And then I hope the NCAA recognizes this and say like, oh, athletic identity, which we've already identified as a bad thing is now a very bad thing because Uh money profits is athletes, student athletes have the potential to make profit. And I think for, you know, each generation that comes in are so, so heavily tied to internet, that's all they're going to focus on is trying Mm -hmm. to make trying to brand themselves through their sport and mm-hmm. yeah hopefully long it'll be interesting to see you know i i, mm-hmm. I can't yeah the future, it's, it's definitely gonna be really interesting with social mm-hmm. media branding and all that yeah i definitely think there's if they do allow it then it's going to be i think it would be good in some ways and bad in a lot of ways but i just think it'd be such a big change like it's it just like shocked the the system, you know, because yeah. either all of a sudden you'd have some track athletes on your team with like, you know, there might be like a car dealership in town that like just gives them cars. And then you have this, your other, you have another guy on the team who, you know, might not have anything. And then you have this other guy on a team who has like a $250,000 a year contract, you know, yeah. it's just, and then, yeah, it's just so, there's so many variables to it. And I just think it caused so many issues just with like, you know, who gets what. And then. Yeah. It will be interesting to see the disparity and just recruiting tactics at that point. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. If you come to the university of Oregon, you're guaranteed a, I don't know, Uh, a car, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I haven't read the rule, the where the legislation's at too much, but I think Mm -hmm. in California next year, it's your athletes are able to benefit off their own likeliness. So I even from that standpoint, I wonder if just like every football basketball athlete is going to come to California just because they have mm-hmm. the potential yeah. to make it off that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, definitely recruiting is a whole different thing, but I feel like that's also um, that I feel like recruiting is not as big of an issue because every college, you know, might have something different to offer, you know, like, maybe like you just mentioned California has has that and then um maybe if somebody wants to go to college in Boston their coach can be like well we're in Boston you know we're a big city if you want to if you want to like have a good uh if you want to be like a an actor or something you can you know come to Boston and, and I can hook you up with like a job like that or something like that and then it might seem really attractive for an athlete Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll, it'll be weird to see just how it all plays out yeah yeah it's funny that that'll be like a recruiting uh uh-huh. a, a recruiting tool you know i, I almost mm-hmm. wish a recruiting tool was like 
hey, I'm a coach who like prioritizes academics and mm-hmm. has, like good relationships yeah. with all of like the academic support services on campus. Like we can mm-hmm. help you. You know, like our university requires that you take like a, a career readiness and financial literacy like mm-hmm. course. Like I wish that was a recruiting tool, you know, mm-hmm. just like, hey, we don't prioritize athletics and we want you to be an overall like good human being instead of an athlete, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, you even get pressure from coaches a lot of the time, like they, them wanting you to like not be a science or engineering major so you can focus on your sport. Um, yeah, even, yeah. Pre- and ultimately they decide how much athletic scholarship you get. So, I mean, a lot of athletes want to impress their coach and put in the work and yeah, now this adds a whole other layer to it with, uh, with benefiting mm-hmm. unlikeliness. So. Yeah. Because it, it becomes so much more of a, okay, I, I need to put even more time into this because now it's kind of like, I can, I have the opportunity to make a lot of money off this which is which is a good thing but then it just turns into like these this thing where you know a bunch of athletes who aren't professional professional athletes at all you know if you take every single runner in the ncaa and they'd be like i want to make money it's and they all try and strive for that in terms of like social media yeah and especially performance you know it just creates this crazy obsession that is going to be 10 times more than what it is now for all athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then when this problem occurs, people can go back to this podcast and say, we predicted this, you know, <laughs> what advice would you give to all the coaches out there wondering how they can help their student athletes with this issue? I mean, as, as a person who wants to be a, a, a potentially a coach in the future, um, you know, this is something I've thought about when writing my paper, but I just, in those initial meetings with your, with your athletes, and even in the recruiting process, just make it very well known that Mm -hmm. you're not going to prioritize athletics and like have no issues, no interference. Like if they need to, if they want to explore an internship opportunity and they need to miss like three practices a week, I think that should be allowed. I don't, I don't think that should be taken away from them. If they need more time to study for a test, I feel like a lot of the time it's probably hard for a lot of athletes to tell their coach, Hey, I don't want to like go to weights today. Like I want to study for an exam that uh, this upcoming exam, I think mm-hmm. that's a hard issue for some students to come to their coach about. And mm-hmm. just really find that president that you're not a you, you, student athlete, student comes first. And mm. whether you miss a couple of practices, even miss a meet, like, Coaches need to look for aim to aim for personal growth in their athletes. It's not athletic growth, you know, mm-hmm. to anybody who's listening, who's not an athlete, what is something you'd want them to better understand about the athletic identity crisis? Mm-hmm. So into say, you know, a parent of someone struggling with the athlete identity crisis, what is something you'd want them to know so they can better understand athletes yeah but, mm-hmm. i would just say real i just say like we all realize all student athletes realize what a great opportunity is to be able to represent a university whether it's being a walk-on or getting a scholarship it's it's a great experience i definitely don't regret mine at all and we all realize that it's a phenomenal experience but i think there's some issues that need to be addressed to where 
like we understand it's 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 a it's a great experience, but there there's some issues there for life after sport, you know. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of a lot of these student athletes growing up, like for instance, their parents are the ones who've been pushing them in athletics their entire life, and they love seeing their kid represent a collegiate university so they can post on Facebook. But what they might not realize is like, oh, your your kid has a degree, that's great, but it's not something you know, they got internships in or really spent time exploring what career options actually come from that degree. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that, you know, it's just like, again, it's a great experience, but the transition is really hard. The transition out of college is really hard. And I think parents, friends and all that, I mean, if you know someone who's just graduated from a university as a student athlete, I would reach out to them and just kind of talk about these issues and see how they're doing. And Mm-hmm. see how you can help do you think um say like after college if you're if you're applying to internships or jobs do you think like having student athlete or you know I played this sport at this school for four years does that look good on your resume or do you think it doesn't even it won't even matter well if the it's thing not, is if, mm-hmm. yeah so yeah you do build transferable skills so skills that mm-hmm. transfer from being an athlete on teams, so stuff like leadership, uh, teamwork, all these all these great adjectives. But if you can't accompany those with actual valuable experience in the industry, mm-hmm. that's gonna get you very far. Like mm-hmm. just on my LinkedIn page, for instance, I also have student athlete in my in my LinkedIn bio. And the only LinkedIn mails I ever get from people is just like sales, like, oh, you'd be great in sales. Like you have the skills as an athlete to be in sales, but it's never, it's not like a marketing firm reaching out saying, oh, you're an athlete. We want you. No, a lot of these places don't care about being a student athlete. They care about your experience within the industry. So yeah, until you can accompany or yeah, until you have actual experience, I don't, I don't think the student athlete thing does a great thing for you. And I, I think that's what a lot of coaches actually recruit with like, oh, you'll be a student athlete, uh, places workers will love you they'll want to hire you and i i just i don't think that's the reality for for us student athletes okay uh-huh well kobe i really appreciate you taking the time to join me today to all the listeners you can find kobe on social media in the description and lastly i'd greatly appreciate if you can take a moment to subscribe or leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on thanks again for listening and peace